With the combine underway and the draft around the corner, the NFL offseason is in full swing. What does it mean for the Seahawks? SportsIllustrated.com's Corbin Smith joins us from the combine in Indianapolis to break it all down. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Hey, welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my sensational producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how we doing today? We're doing great, man. We're back. Hiatus over. We have returned. You're welcome, listeners. And also, I am so sorry. What's going on, Jackson? <laughs> I'm feeling good, man. I'm really, really excited about this show today. Last time, we had Danny Kelly from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. And now we're joined by someone who's been providing some of the best Seahawks coverage out there. Seahawks Maven and SI.com's Corbin Smith is with us from Indy, where he's currently covering the Combine. Corbin, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm exhausted, but uh, you know, I'm enjoying the fact that uh, this is the most normal that anything has felt since the last time I was here for the combine. I mean, seriously, full circle. This is the. I mean, no masks. I mean, I just felt liberated the last three days. Uh, It's been it's been extremely (laughs) exciting. How how is Indy? I've never been. I lived here for five years, so uh, I you know I'd say something changed, but it still looks the same, other than. I, I was joking with some of the guys that live around here. I was like, you know, I feel like the city planner in Indianapolis is like on the Breaking Bad meth plan because they decided to close their two biggest highways at the same time. Oh, no. Uh, makes no sense. Well, I didn't have a car. I, I just took an Uber, so I ended up being okay. But, uh, yeah. You may not like it, but that's what peak performance looks like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it's it's uh trying try to get around here uh, my parents live like two hours north of here and they were gonna stop by before the first day of the combine for like half an hour just to see me and uh, uh that didn't happen because they were stuck in traffic for two and a half hours trying to just get out of northern indianapolis because it's just a nightmare right now but luckily we're away from those highways over here on this side of the city so well that's good man and and i know that it has been a really busy week for you a lot going on i do want to circle back to the combine in a bit but before we do i want to get your perspective on covering this team aside from the record which obviously sucked how is this season different than uh years prior so, you know, I've only been covering the team as a as an, a full-time beat reporter for three years, and obviously the first two years they made the postseason, and um, it still was plenty of fans that were upset about some of the things that were going on with the draft and free agency, and some of those things have not changed. But uh, clearly some of those issues caught up with this team last year, and we saw it on the field. And I would say the biggest difference covering this team, and I think you can, you, you know, this team has consistently won games so this hasn't been an issue that anybody's had to worry about but you know people that are covering the team and some of the guys that have been on the beat longer uh, they've covered losing teams before so they understood what that was like but for me it was kind of an eye-opener and you know Pete Carroll as the season progressed going from you know the loss to Tennessee and the loss to Minnesota early trying to figure out why we can't convert on third down and then by the time you get to about week 10 it's like uh, at this point, I don't know what to tell you. And the Pete Carroll stomping off the podium, like that was unheard of. Yeah. So you just, you got to see frustration that you just had never seen 
from the people at the top. And I can only imagine what John Schneider was going through. I mean, we didn't get access, get to talk to him during the season at all, but I can only imagine what he was going through as this was all unfolding. So, you know, the, the team has missed the playoffs a couple of times, but this was clearly the worst season they've had with those two at the helm. And I think, I think Pete took it harder than anybody because he just, he's never lost like that ever. Yeah. So it just, that, that really just changed, that changed the dynamic in press conferences. And obviously, you know, as a beat reporter, you know, sometimes like, I don't want to ask about the third down thing again, but damn it, you can't convert third downs. What is going on? You know, it, yeah. that's the sign of losing teams. When you keep circling back to the same problems, we can't keep the football and sustain drives. We're not able to put points on the board. Russell Wilson doesn't look healthy, even though he's supposedly healthy. The same issues just kept cropping up. And when that happens in this league, when you already have thin margin for error, this is a team that had survived so much winning one-score games. Uh, they ended up getting the other end of the sword this year, and some of that's just bad fortune, and, and some of it is you know poor roster planning catching up with them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think more <laughs> pervasively, at least from the outside looking in, it seems like the vibes just sucked. And, like, I get that that comes with losing, but... Like the losses were so lame. Did it feel different in the locker room and at the VMAC than prior years? Or, or was it still kind of like marching to the same beat? We're going to get through this. So I would lean towards the latter, actually. Uh, I, you know, for all the issues they had. And like I said, Pete Carroll, that when he stomped off in that one press conference, you know, that was just not something you ever expected to see from such a positive guy. I mean, he's just, he just didn't know what to do at that point. Like, I don't know what else to try to fix some of these issues that are ailing this team. But at the same time, behind closed doors, like he still was being his optimistic, positive self. And we saw him win four of their last six games. A lot of teams would have folded in the situation they had with all those games they lost, especially after Wilson came back, because there was so much optimism when he came off injured reserve. Hey, we can still write the season. And then he lose three straight games. It's like, oh, we're three and eight. We're screwed, you know, but they kept fighting, uh-huh. and you saw that late in the season. And, the you know, just the way guys responded when Quadre Diggs got hurt, I mean, this team remained extremely tight all the way to the last game. And I think that's a big reason why Pete Carroll and John Schneider want to keep as much of this team together as they can. I mean, a lot of these guys were on the 12-win team two years ago, just two years ago. So a few balls bounced differently in a couple of those games. They're a playoff team again. So... You know, everybody can look at it as the sky is falling, but I just I don't view it that way. It was it was a difficult year covering the team just because you've never seen Pete like that. But at the same time, I I think that he's made it clear the way he's handled this offseason already. Some of the things he said that like, hey, I think I know now. Now I've had some reflection what we can do to try to get the ship going again so we can get back to the playoffs and, and maybe do some damage in the postseason. Yeah, you know, that's really encouraging to hear. Because we know that that is one of the great strengths of having Pete Carroll as your head coach. You know, I imagine most NFL fans get annoyed in game with coaching decisions. And I, I, I get that. And it's certainly been frustrating with Pete on a number of occasions over the last few years. But the one thing that you can always count on is that relentless optimism, that relentless belief that they're going to get through whatever they're dealing with. And and to hear that that's truly how it still felt, even when going through the worst season of his coaching career, it's that's really cool to hear. It's it's encouraging 
when you think about the team moving forward. And I like what you said about the cohesiveness of the guys on the roster, because this is the type of season that'll really test those bonds. I mean, everyone, everyone gets along when you're winning and you're playing well, that keeps the vibes up, but it's hard to be, it's hard to be a friend and a good teammate when things are going against you. And it really was one of those seasons, Jackson, where it just felt like nothing was going right. And they had not had a season like this in a long time. So maybe that's another reason to look at it from an optimistic lens. It's like, you can't have that many things go wrong again, can you? I mean, I... So again, I, I, I'm just a bit more optimistic than some of the other people that cover this team, but I, I generally feel like now they have to hit the off season out of the park. This team's got to get better. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll know this, uh, and they've got to make some changes to how they approach things. But I I do think that there's the, the reasons for optimism are founded, especially when you consider that last year really did in a lot of ways, it felt fluky. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I get that, man. And I do want to talk more about that a little later. But you're at the combine. I, I think this is such a fascinating event. I mean, it's it's kind of silly, but it's kind of awesome. <laughs> Underwear and, Olympics, baby. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, you know, which prospects there are creating the most buzz, and who have you been most impressed by, or who have you been most excited to see? Well, you know, Jackson, I haven't got to interview near as many guys this time around. Two years ago, I probably interviewed 40 players while I was here. And I've maybe done 12 or 13 so far this time. And some of it's been because the way the schedule's been set up. There's been guys that haven't come out at the time they were scheduled. And there's been some guys that haven't done interviews at all uh, because they're doing all their interviews with teams and stuff. So uh, there's guys that I wanted to talk about. I know Seahawks fans, there's going to be some that are going to bat an eye when they hear me say this. But, like, I'm super excited about the running back class. I think this is a fantastic group of running backs. And I see a lot of guys that really fit what Seattle likes at the position. And whether they're going to bring back Rashad Penny or not, um, we'll see what happens with Chris Carson. I just, a neck injury, I just, you know, I hope he can come back. I know. I I just, it's something until I see him on the field and playing, I I just, you know, I don't want to say that I'm being skeptical, but like, I, I hope he can play. You'd love to have both of them back, but I think the Seahawks have to go into this free agency and draft period thinking there's a good chance at least one of them's not going to be back, and we might lose both, and that's going to leave you DJ Dallas and Travis Homer as your two running backs. Well, the that's not Mike, really a problem. Mike, no, that's Mike, not really a no, problem. I don't know Mike, what you're talking about. No. <laughs> Bad dog. I, I'm not saying that anything's wrong with those two. I just don't know that either one of them is a feature back. <laughs> And I don't know that either one of them has shown that they have that ability at this point. I, DJ Dallas, I'm intrigued by. Homer's a very good third down back. That's right. But I'm just saying, I think you can go out and Damian Pierce is probably my favorite running back in this draft for Seattle. Okay. He is. I, I call him a running refrigerator. He just bowls people over. And he told me today, I asked him, I said, how would you define your playing style? And the enthusiasm he had with this, he's like, I'm angry and I have bad intentions. And that's the kind of guy Pete Carroll totally. wants in the in the backfield totally. that can run the football. And he's just he can catch the ball. He's got soft hands. He's a pass-protecting maestro. He can do it all. And there's a reason Florida fired their coach, because him getting 100 carries, and that's it, that is a criminal offense. This guy has a ton <laughs> of talent. Um Abram Smith from Baylor, linebacker turned running back. He, he runs like a linebacker, play running back, mashes people. 
Um, I, I think there's a bunch of running backs in this class that are fun. I think the edge group has got a lot of talent. I'm intrigued by a number of those guys. There are some Michael Bennett types. I don't want John Schneider to hear that too loud because he compares everybody to Michael Bennett. But Logan Hall from Houston is probably uh, the best comp. I think he's probably a, a second-round pick. So he might be in play at pick number 41. Uh, the corner group's got some got some talent, got some good depth. So I think a lot of the positions the Seahawks are going to to need to address. Offensive tackle, there's some good players. I like Rasheed Walker from Penn State a lot. Uh, it, it feels like this draft class, it's not a great class overall, but the strengths really line up well with what the Seahawks probably are going to need. Well, that's that's a good thing because, you know, for as much – shit as the Seahawks have taken for not having a first rounder. And I mean, just a brutal year for them to not have a first rounder to count on. They do have a lot of picks and they are picking in the first third of each of the rounds. And, and that is an advantage, you know, picking 10th in each round is a lot better than picking 26th. And especially when you compound that over, you know, the final six rounds of the draft. So it's, it's nice to know what, what I'm hearing from you and what I've heard from others is okay, maybe we're not as top heavy, but this is a pretty deep draft. Like there's going to be good players there on day two and, and maybe even day three. Is that, you think that's accurate? Yeah. I, I think that this draft class, I've seen some people say this is another 2013 draft. No, it is not. Now, could you make the argument that the top half, the guys in the first round might stack up favorably with that dreadful 2013 class? It, you could maybe make an argument with some merit on that because I don't know that there's necessarily an elite guy that's at the top. I don't know if you have a lot of your blue chip players, but I do think that you have a lot of depth, like I mentioned, at areas like offensive tackle, running back. I think this is an underrated receiver class. We've been spoiled by how much receiver oh, talent's man. been coming into the league the last couple of years. This is still a very good group. I just saw a Baylor kid ran a 4.21 40-yard dash. I mean, and I don't even know that he was on anybody's draft board at this point. Now he will be. But, yeah, this – I think that this is a group, especially when you consider that some of these guys would have, under normal circumstances, been in last year's draft, but then COVID happened. So you do have a saturation. There are a lot more guys to choose from. It's not a good draft in terms of your top guys, but I do think that there are starter caliber guys that should be available as late as fifth, sixth round, even at center, for example, there is some really good depth in a number of positions. So I think even without a first round pick, Seattle, those early picks, John Schneider has the ability to trade up. If there's a guy he really wants that sinks into the early second round, I would not rule that out. He has had great success doing that. I would rather pick five guys and get a blue chip quality player early in the second round than draft nine guys and only four of them make the team. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that that's maybe a philosophical change that we're going to see after a really disappointing season. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned a philosophical change because one of my favorite things about the combine has been the opportunity to hear from the coaches and the GMs. And it always seems like they're a little more candid at the combine than they are at other times of the year. And what we've heard from, from Pete and John so far is pretty exciting. At least to me, I told Mike a couple shows ago that if Seattle were to only make one major shift this off season, it'd be moving on from Ken Norton jr. As the defensive coordinator and showing a willingness to adapt a philosophy to something more dynamic than what we've seen in recent years. What are your thoughts on Clint hurt, Sean Desai, Carl Scott, and Carol's comments about evolving their defensive approach. Well, I'll start with this first thing. When he said, we've been arrogant, that was a breakthrough to me from Pete Carroll, because 
they have been arrogant. And that is one thing I think that fans, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of the stuff that flows on Twitter from Seahawks fans, I usually just laugh and I just move on to whatever else I'm doing. But the idea that they moved on from the Legion of Boom and they just kept doing a lot of the same stuff and, and having those vanilla coverages, there is truth to that. But on the flip side, this is where I think Ken Norton Jr. gets a little bit of a raw deal. I do think that we've seen this defense try to make some evolution the last couple of years. There was more two-deep coverages last year. We saw them kind of move away from the bear package that really was working well for them in 2019 and 2020. They moved away from that into more of their 4-3 under packages they were, uh, again, the two-deep coverage safety stuff was really helping Jamal Adams. Four or five games before he got hurt, he was playing at a very high level in coverage. And so I feel like this evolution's already been in place and already been set in motion, but I don't think Pete Carroll felt like they could take the step that they truly needed to without having a new voice. And Clint Hurt, he is going to be aggressive. He is going to bring some different ideas that Ken Norton Jr. was not going to bring to the table with his background, having worked for Vic Fangio, and bringing in Sean Desai. He was the candidate that I was pushing for uh-huh. to get the defensive coordinator job. So to get both of them and Carl Scott, who I think is a future defensive coordinator in the NFL, he has that kind of football IQ, working under Nick Saban, last year under Mike Zimmer with not a great cornerback group, so everybody's like, oh, they weren't very good. Well, he didn't have a ton of talent to work with in the secondary. That's Patrick Peterson slander, so that's okay with me. Well, Patrick Peterson's like 90, so uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> not sliding the player. He's been outstanding. He's, he's not in his Don't walk it back. Either, Don't <laughs> walk it back. <laughs> The, the, uh, second, the secondary in Minnesota was not great. So, I mean, you look at those coaches that they have put together, and I like the fact that they're bringing in some young minds that have some different experiences and also having the fact that some of these guys have coached together. So you're still keeping some cohesiveness there since Desai and Hurt coached together in Chicago for a couple of years. Scott's the one guy that hasn't been with this group, but he's going to be your secondary coach. And I think there's a lot of things from Nick Saban's system that are going to translate well to what the Seahawks are doing. So I, I think they hit it out of the park. I didn't think they were going to get all three of those guys, even though my sources were telling me, Hey, th- there's a good chance it's going to happen. I thought somebody else is going to hire Desai as defensive coordinator. There's no way. And then it happened. I mean, they had the perfect dominoes fall for them to get a really dynamic young coaching staff on defense. And I think the biggest change is going to be more man coverage. Yes. I think what they do up front with, with the front seven, I don't think is going to be much different from what we've seen. They've always been a mix of a three, four, four, three defense with how they use their front seven, but they've never been a team that's ran much man coverage. And I think we've already seen the transition to corners that better fit that. So that's my biggest change I'm anticipating is going to happen with Desai and Scott coming on board. They're going to be your secondary guys. And Clint Hurt, he's going to be aggressive up front. There's going to be a little more blitzing. I think Jamal Adams gets involved a little more. And not just blitzing off the edge, we're going to find creative ways that we can move around Jamal Adams and pressure him so that offenses, you know, last year was just almost always, we're going to make him an undersized defensive end. Well, yeah, this could be easy for the right tackle and the offense to adjust. But if you're moving him around, blitzing him in the interior, that guy can still be an absolute menace, and I think Clint Hurt's going to find ways to unlock that potential this year. Are you worried about there being 
you know, the proverbial too many cooks in the kitchen. We've got no. obviously three great minds. This is still a Pete Carroll defense. You don't think so? No, I don't. I, I don't think that they're going to have that issue. If these guys were all coming from independent places, they had never worked together, then I would probably be a bit more skeptical about it. But again, that cohesiveness, Sean Desai, there's a reason that this is what he, this is the place that he picked when he knew he couldn't get a defensive coordinator job. That relationship with Clint Hurt, those two hold each other in such high regard. I think the one thing you'll notice, I really do think, you know, Pete Carroll's still going to have his imprints because he's a defensive coach. It's going to happen. But I do think when you bring in guys of this caliber and you give one of them an associate head coaching job, I think Pete Carroll knows, hey, I need to take a little bit of a step back. If we are going to stop being stubborn and stop being arrogant, I need to let my coaches coach. And so that's that was my big takeaway from Wednesday, too. I thought a lot of the comments that Carroll made on podium as well as off podium uh, when we were asking him questions about this defense suggested to me that like, he understands there need to be changes made. And part of that might be me taping, taking a little bit of a step back and letting these young guys coach because that's what they are here to do. Man, I I am just grinning like a maniac over here. This is everything I wanted to hear about a defensive shift that, frankly, I had given up on ever happening. And I think one thing that's important for me to keep in mind, and and maybe for all of us, is we want to see changes happen. When we get frustrated by something we're seeing on the field, we want the changes to happen right now. This isn't working. Change, Change it. But it's easy to forget that these guys are at the absolute pinnacle of their professions, you know, Pete Carroll reached the mountaintop. You can't have more success as an NFL coach than winning a Super Bowl, and he did it building a defense this way. It's going to take a little while to build to turn that battleship around because it's not just like, oh, yep, okay, we had a down year. We didn't get a lot of sacks or, or turnovers. Let's scrap what we're doing and rebuild it. You got limitations with roster that you've built for brought in for a certain scheme, all of those things. But it also takes some honesty, some self-reflection, and frankly, some courage to say, yeah, this isn't working anymore. We got to switch it up, even though we've had so much success in the past. So very, very encouraged by that. Yeah, I think the big thing that you just mentioned there with the personnel, and this is what I've been trying to hammer home in my articles and on my podcast and even on Twitter is that, and I agree with Clint Hurd on this, I think personnel-wise, they're in pretty good shape. They have got to upgrade their edge positions, regardless of whether it's going to be mostly a 3-4 or 4-3. They they need to, whether that means Chandler Jones. I'm a big fan. If they're going to be doing more 3-4 stuff, Hassan Reddick, go get a guy that's in his prime that knows how to get after the quarterback, can play some coverage, is a underrated run defender. Is a I think the youth factor there. I mean, Chandler Jones would still be a really nice addition, but he had five sacks in one game last year, and he wasn't that productive the rest of the season he's gonna be 32 so those are things that kind of leave me a little bit thinking you know maybe we want to be a little cautious with how much money we're going to throw at a guy that has been great in his career but we might be paying for what he used to be and not what he is now so you got to be careful about that but they need to get some upgrades they need an alpha dog at the edge rushing position i think they could use another guy that can rush from the interior maybe akeem hicks with his relationship with sean desai those many years in chicago I think a one-year deal with him would make a lot of sense. Bring Al Woods back. He's not going to be expensive. You got Puna Ford. I mean, I think you can have a really darn good defensive line if you can just add that alpha on the outside 
to go with Daryl Taylor and Carlos Dunlap and get another guy that can rush from the interior. I mentioned the corners like DJ Reed. You re-sign him. Even Sidney Jones. Trey Brown comes back. All of those guys are good fits for man coverage, athleticism-wise. And they're different builds than what Seattle's typically looked at for outside corners. So again, I feel like this evolution has already started. And we saw some signs of it last year and even the year before. But now we're going to kick it into overdrive with some different minds that could really get us over the hump. And at least that's what the Seahawks are hoping is going to happen this next season. We had Shiel Kapadia on few weeks back and he was talking about interviewing John Harbaugh about defense and as we all know last year notwithstanding because they just got hammered by injuries the Ravens are always one of the better defensive teams in the league and and she was asking him about that and Harbaugh said something that was probably my favorite thing I've ever heard a coach say with regards to their defense and it was something to the effect of whatever's going to happen we're going to make it happen fast so we're either getting we're getting the offense off the field one way or another. We're going to sack the quarterback. We're going to turn the ball over. We're going to force a three and out, or we're going to give up a score. But whatever happens, we're getting our offense right back on the field. And I love that aggression. The idea that the defense isn't sitting back and receiving what the offense is giving them. They're trying to go out and take it from them. Do you see that type of mentality coming back to the Seahawks moving forward? I don't know if I would go as far as saying that they're going to quite go by that philosophy where it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're going to get this stop or we're going to give them a touchdown type thing. But I do think everything that Clint Hurt has said and what Pete Carroll said suggests to me that they are going to be more aggressive with their blitzes. They're going to be more aggressive with really trying to get after the quarterback, more press coverage. And again, the man coverage aspect that allows you to be more creative with, some of the exotic blitzes and twist stunts that you can do up front. And that includes mixing in your playmaking safety, Jamal Adams. I mean, they just, they have to find ways to maximize everything that he's great at, because I don't know that you're ever going to make the trade that they made when, when you can justify at this point because of how much capital they gave up. But I do think Jamal Adams can still be one of the best safeties in the NFL. He's just got such a unique skill set, And so they got to cater to that. And I think part of that is going to be figuring out how can we balance being aggressive, sending him on blitzes with moving him back in coverage where in two deep safety looks, he's he is more than adequate. He had two picks the last four games that he played in, was playing at a very high level. So I feel like you've seen signs that they can do the do what they need to do with him. They just haven't put everything together. And then, of course, the shoulder injuries have kind of cut short some seasons too. So that's been another factor there. But I don't know if they're going to go Ravens-esque when it comes to aggressiveness, but I definitely – think they're going to ramp it up. What I'm hoping personally is we don't see any more Trey Flowers 15 yards off the line of scrimmage yep. stuff. That's that's what I'm hoping we don't see anymore in secondary because that Minnesota game that in the, that in was the tough, press box man. like, what are they doing? That was tough. Like, third and two and Trey Flowers is 18 yards off the ball. Like, what? You know, again, going it's, it's Dr. Phil here. What in the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I just didn't understand it all. But – it just and that's just not what they've done in the past either, which is what make it right. weird. And they and they got that sorted out, which which was nice as the season went on, and and it was great to see uh, Flowers link up with the Bengals and and make that run to the Super Bowl and and all of that. But he's not a bad player. No, he's not. Jackson. No, he's not. I, I just I just don't think I think the time had come where it just it wasn't working anymore. Yeah, and and, and that happens. He I mean, was frustrated. Seattle plays a very specific brand of cornerback, and and it's not it's not a fit for everyone. Just like some 
running backs will run great in a zone scheme and and not great in others doesn't mean they're a bad running back they just are going to thrive in a system that caters to that skill set so you know i i i think it just comes back to marrying the philosophy with the roster and you can't just switch your roster all of a sudden so it it is going to take some incremental change but i'm i'm really happy to be seeing it and Frankly, I'm loving all of that, but I pretty much like everything else I'm hearing too. I mean, they're not trading Russell Wilson. Not that I ever thought they would anyway. There's not a package out no, there. Well, according think... to Mike Florio. Oh, are, my God. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Don't, don't get me started on that. I can rant for 25 minutes about that. I mean, I just I just don't I don't understand how you can see the see the statements that we got. And I know coach speak. I deal with it daily in this business. And the doors always kept open, but like they pretty much slammed it shut yesterday. You need to just move on and find something else to generate your clickbait. But anyway, yeah, no, to- totally agree. I just, I just don't think there's a package out there that is realistic that the Seattle nope. would take for, for Russell Wilson. So, uh, you know, yeah, let's go be... get Blaine Gabbert from the Buccaneers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's gonna, right. That's going to exactly. win over Seahawk fans real quick. Yeah. 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 Right. Let's let's get Daniel Jones over here. That that's that's what we gotta do. So I yeah, I, I mean that could be that mouth. could be its own um, show talking about <laughs> we we could do an entire episode just going through the shitty trade proposals that make their rounds through the debate shows and Twitter for Russell Wilson. But you know, I never thought that he was going to be traded, not because I don't think there wasn't any animosity at at any given point or there weren't conversations had, but again, I it just the logistics. I, I never saw a way forward with that, but it has been really nice to hear them be so direct about it this year. And we're hearing all the right things from Wilson too. I mean, he's, he's just saying flat out, I want to win more Super Bowls in Seattle. I love it here. It's where I'm at right now. I want to stay here. And that is a pleasant shift from this time last year, because while I didn't think he was going anywhere last year either, what we were hearing from him was a lot less decisive on this very topic. Yeah, and I thought the thing that really jumped out that Pete said um, yesterday, talking to reporters, was just continuing to emphasize that like the noise is not near as loud as it was a year ago. And I completely agree with him, uh, based on you know the conversations that I've had with various sources. And and honestly, it really feels like all of the noise right now is just people looking for off-season filler. I thought last year, totally. you know, the agent comes out with the teams. Like, there were some legitimate flames last year. And I, I had people telling me, like, this is not going to happen. But this has been created in part from Russell Wilson, his agent. That kind of stuff has not happened this offseason. And so I think the statements that he has made have absolutely absolutely made a difference on that front. Yeah, well, and, and that's what you want to see, right? You want to see that cohesion at the top. I mean, that triumvirate of... Carol Schneider and Wilson, you want them to be on the same page the way that they were for so many years. And, and it's just been, it's been rocky lately and, or at least it seemed that way. So to hear the same things from all three of them, uh, all basically ever since the season ended has been, it's been uplifting as someone that really wants to see Russ Wilson stay in Seattle for the duration of his prime. Yeah, I think that, you know, the thing that makes it a difficult discussion is I think you can talk about, you know, the idea that Russell Wilson's going to be here in 2022, 2023. I think where things do get a little bit more uh, tricky in terms of being a slippery slope is what happens when the contract expires or, you know, like next year, you got one year left in your deal, especially if this year doesn't go overly well 
in terms of winning games, and they don't respond the way that they're hoping to, then you have an interesting dilemma that you're dealing with. But uh, I think at least for right now, the situation seems a lot more stable than what it has. So from that sense, Seahawks fans should be happy. And if the season goes really well, then heck, you could have an extension next offseason. And maybe we don't have to worry about this talk for another year or two until he gets halfway through his next deal. And then we'll see what happens. But he has reached that age, though, where this type of, type of stuff is going to happen, though. I mean, he's going to be 34 in November, and he showed he's not Iron Man last year, getting hurt for three games. So uh, those are factors they do have to consider. And at some point, I expect John Schneider to make a move for a quarterback at some point to develop in the draft, and it could be this year. That would that would get people talking for sure. So let's. I don't know how you feel about this, Jackson, but like you know, if somebody like Sam Howell, that's a name that I've been hearing okay. through the pipevine, is somebody that the Seahawks may have some interest in. If he somehow falls into the second round. You might have a Jordan Love-type situation, and John Schneider could back it up be like, well, I didn't trade into the first round, and this is just a guy that we're grooming in, you know, with the event that Wilson's got two years left in his deal. I don't think it happens, but at the same time, this is John Schneider we're talking about. And totally. He does have some riverboat gambler in him. If the right player, and that could be a quarterback, falls, uh, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I'll just put it that way. All right. That's – I mean, that's – that's very interesting. I, I guess I don't hate the process behind that, Corbin. Um, and I have no doubt. I mean, you you are extremely connected to that organization. So this is this is the first time I've really considered that. But I would personally be very disappointed if they use their first pick in a draft where they really need to improve the roster in order to keep up with teams like the Rams, 49ers, Bengals, Chiefs, Bills. To be fair, Jackson. You have been harping on the team to be the Packers, so that really would oh be not it. not by getting Jordan Love. <laughs> I do love the way the Packers handle their business, but not. I I would I would be really disappointed. I, I don't I don't see that this is going to happen, guys. Yeah. But I, I like I said though. Th- I mean, again, this is John Schneider, and he's from the Packers organization. Totally, totally. So no, no, we we. I don't it. think it's a far fetched idea. Well, it's I, I don't. It's not. It's not like we're sitting here having done backflips after all of John Schneider's first picks and drafts in the past. You know what I mean? Like I'm not putting anything <laughs> past him. He's he's picking page four guys with his first pick some some years. So, um, you know, it's it it could happen. That would I think that would just create so much distraction for this team. I think that it would be a missed opportunity to improve positions that are more important to them right now. I think, I mean, yeah, I don't love Geno Smith as your backup, but he they almost won those games with him. Um, they weren't far from going an ugly three and zero during that stretch. And I, I think he's serviceable. I just, I think maybe a, a year from now, that's a better conversation to have. But I, I, I'd be pretty upset if they took a quarterback on day two. Yeah, you know, I think really ultimately day three would be what makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody like Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. I like him. Potentially. Uh, I'll give you a dark horse that I I have not heard anything in regard to Seattle having interest in this particular kid. But um, Dustin Crum from Kent State mm-hmm. is another one that intrigues me as a late-round undrafted flyer. 6'3", 207, had over 
800 rushing yards in two of the past three years. Kent State is not known for winning football games, and he led them to two bowl games in, th- in three years. They had made two bowl games their entire history before then. I think that he is a kid that could be a really fun developmental guy for Shane Waldron to work with. And at worst, you know, you're you're taking a stab late on a quarterback. A lot of other teams with established guys do that. John Schneider's only done it once. That one didn't work out. But why not keep throwing some darts and seeing if you can maybe find a, a backup that you can groom without investing significant draft capital? So Crum and Zappi would be two guys, you know, in day three that I think could make a lot of sense. I'd, I'd be into that. I'd be into that. So, Corbin, we have now entered a hypothetical realm where you are the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks. That's a dangerous realm. Pick 41. <laughs> a dangerous realm indeed. You're on the clock. You have full control over the pick. Who are you selecting? Well, I'm hoping that it's a pass rusher. That's what I'm really hoping is that I can get somebody that can really pin his ears back. I'm really hoping that there are 32 teams that are dumb enough to let Boy Mafe fall to pick number 41. Uh, out of Minnesota, I really like how he plays. Um, Arnold Ebicady out of Penn State would be a nice consolation prize. He's he's a fun player. The, the, there's a lot of really fun players from the Big Ten that I think could be good fits for the Seahawks there. So those are two those are two names that I would look for. Um, and I also mentioned earlier Logan Hall from Houston. He could play that big end role, but also reduce inside. And he is a freak athlete. That guy could be a double-digit sack guy that can play inside and out. Kind of a late bloomer because he had a lot of talent in front of him at Houston. They had a first-round pick last year for the Saints, uh, Peyton Turner. So he kind of had to wait for his turn, but he is a fun player, plays with violent hands. If I can't get an elite pass rusher, then I start looking at offensive line. Like if somebody like Zion Johnson, the uh, guard from Boston College, is available, I think he is a center in the NFL, a very good one at that. Go upgrade that position. You could look at some of the tackles. Abraham Lucas from Washington State would make a lot of sense there. Rasheed Walker from Penn State. There are a number of tackles that I think will be available on day two that could be good fits. But those would be the position groups. I'm looking in the trenches there. And as much as I love the running backs in this class, I'm not looking at running backs until at least the third round. So Seahawk fans can breathe in a sigh of relief there. But I would be looking in the trenches to try to get some pass rushers, try to get some offensive line help, some reinforcements there for life after Dwayne Brown. If that's now or if that's a year or two from now, you have to start planning uh, ahead of time and and go find that heir apparent, especially if you don't think Stone Forsythe is that guy. Sure, sure. So I want to I want to pivot back to some of the other guys who may or may not be Seahawks, and that's the free agents that are in this class from Seattle. We're talking Dwayne Brown, Quandre Diggs, DJ Reed, Rashard Penny, Al Woods, Gerald Everett, on and on. How are you prioritizing that list if you're John Schneider? Well, it would be one, and then there's a very large gap to number two. Number one has got to be Quandre Diggs. With, I, with you there. You know, and I think that John Schneider made a perfect statement about this, Jackson. I, I asked him yesterday, point blank, uh, when he had our opportunity to speak with the general manager, I asked him, you know, are you comfortable with the idea of paying another significant contract to the safety position when you just gave Jamal Adams a record deal and – he immediately made, you know, the, the statement I expected first off saying we want to keep our great players, we want to pay our best players. So obviously I expected that, but then he went on to talk about how 
you know, positional value. Some people might think, oh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make a ton of plays or there's a lot of plays he's not doing anything. And he was basically dispelling that myth like the quarterback's always keeping eyes on the free safety. And if you have somebody back there that is limited or is a hindrance, we know what happened when they had Tedrick Thompson back there. Yep. So I just think he is an invaluable player in this scheme, even with some of the changes they're going to be making, you need a ball hawking free safety. And they had nobody else that could create turnovers last year. Like you have got to find a way to keep him. He is one of your leaders in the locker room. So I know for a fact that that is the deal they're trying to hammer out before March 8th. That's your franchise tag deadline. They've been negotiating with him. They're hoping they can get that done. If not, this might be a year that that franchise tag gets done because I think the Seahawks absolutely do not want to lose him. So he would be priority one. And I think you stay in the secondary for number two. DJ Reed is 25 years old. He is just entering the prime of his career. And you're going to more man coverage. He is so quick. And he's got better ball skills than maybe the interception numbers suggest. He's a dog. He gets after it. He, he's a grinder. He has that late round chip on his shoulder. He's everything the Seahawks want, even if he's not lengthy and tall. He checks off every other box willing tackler, you can't afford to lose him either. So I, I think that those two secondary guys, they have made it clear in their statements publicly. What I've heard behind uh, closed doors is they want to keep that secondary intact as much as they can, and I think that that's the right move to make. And then behind that, uh, I originally was saying Rashad Penny at the beginning of all this, but I, I think at this point, Dwayne Brown, yeah, he proved the last eight games he is still a very good player. And I think what got lost last year, and I, you know, I had to watch the tape a little, little bit more to get this, but when they had a center change, suddenly Dwayne Brown started to look like Dwayne Brown. I really think the communication stuff was a major problem. I can't tell you how many times Dwayne Brown would look over to the middle of the line after a play, and you could visibly see his frustration and his anger, and that's just not Dwayne Brown right. normally. So something was going wrong there, and it was impacting his play. And once they put Posick back in the lineup, Suddenly, hey, there's Dwayne Brown. There's the Pro Bowler we know. And sure enough, when they had to pick an alternate, he deserved it the last eight games. He only gave up one sack. I, I think he's still got some good football left in him, and he's going to be cheaper than some of the big names that are going to be hitting the market. So I would put him at number three. You know, honestly, I that's exactly how I would have had it a little while ago. The more I think about it, Dwayne Brown's my number one, even at his age. I think this team has skirted offensive line for so long outside of Dwayne Brown that I don't know what happens to that offensive line. If you don't resign him, I don't now, now you've lost your anchor. I don't know where you're finding a left tackle. And if, if you're trying to, you know, keep the relationship with Russell Wilson, one where he's going to be around for another contract, I, I think you got to do Dwayne first. And and here's the other thing. The left tackles are the baddest dudes in the NFL. In most locker rooms, that's the one dude that's winning the fight. Doesn't matter who they're fighting. That is a bear of a man. And he's so level, right? Like, you just get the sense that if Dwayne Brown says something, that's the way that he it is. He did 20 yeah, pull-ups, Russell that, Wilson said. That's, that's bananas. Like, this is... He is that dude in a locker room full of those dudes. He's that dude. And I just, I think you keep him above everything else. And then I go, I go right, right behind him, Quandre and DJ. And then th that's where I see my tear break. And, and Rashad Penny's probably to my next one. 
Yeah, Penny would be number four for me just because I, I just you don't see 230-pound guys that can do what he did when we finally got to see him healthy. I mean, that's the running back that I saw at San Diego State. Yep. I was one of the few people that when they made that pick in the first round, I was like, I didn't bat an eye at it because I saw him in person a couple times and scouted him. And you just don't see guys that size that could run like that and have home run hitting ability. He just, and I don't know necessarily that he has been injury prone. That one injury, that was so bad. the ACL, happening at the end of the season, the timing of it, just, it ended up costing him really the next entire next season. And then soft tissue injuries happen after ACL injuries all the time. Yep. That's normal. So this is a guy that was so durable before he came in the league too. So I mean, I don't know how to feel about contract. I mean, I probably would not give any more than four, four and a half million, maybe throw a little incentives on there. But uh, he's a guy that, if he's healthy, I've been saying this for years, he's got 1,500-yard potential. I mean, he's yeah. that kind of a yeah, player. Yeah, absolutely. He, absolutely. Just, he just hasn't been able to find a rhythm because he's been hurt so much. So uh, he's been out so much with that one injury in particular. So If he starts the season the way next season, the way that he ended this season – he could be touching 1,500 yards by the end of October. I mean, he's he was averaging 170 yards a game. That's I mean, he's not Barry Sanders, but, I mean, I put a stat out here. He and Barry Sanders are the only running backs ever to have a six-game six stretch to close out a season where they had over 700 rushing yards, six touchdowns, and 6.5 yep. yards per carry. Yep. It was him and Barry Sanders. Yep. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying he's Barry Sanders because there will never not. be another Barry Sanders. Nope. But Rashad Penny can be a very special player, and we just haven't had a chance to see it until now. So I I, I feel like the Seahawks are going to be hard-pressed there because you have Carson's contract on the books. What's going to happen with him? You don't want to have $10 million sitting on two running backs that have had injury issues. So, I mean, they've got some tough choices to make yeah. there. Uh, I think they have a few other guys that aren't going to be super expensive. I mean, Gerald Everett's entering a free agent class with a lot of good tight ends, and this is a good tight end draft class too. That's another position I could have mentioned. There's some really good tight ends in this group uh, if the Seahawks want to go that route. But, um, yeah, I think Gerald Everett will be affordable to re- to bring back. Will Disley's obviously going to be re- uh, affordable to re-sign if you want to bring him back. So really the biggest question marks are the guys that I mentioned that could potentially fetch big bucks at premium positions on the market. I got you. I got you. Well, I, it sounds like our, our list line up pretty closely, and I, I would love to see those top four guys back, and and hopefully that leaves them with a little bit of money to go uh, build up the trenches a bit. All right, one last thing before we let you get out of here. We've touched on a lot of the main characters tonight, but what player on the Seahawks are people not talking about enough? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, you know, I... I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna go with a real wild card here. I, I'm gonna go with a guy that is a restricted free agent, Phil Haynes. Okay. And so here's where I'm going with this. I've actually asked Pete Carroll about this. I don't know if it happens. I, I have been told by some people in the know that they would love to have Damian Lewis play center. And I don't know that last year they were moving him to the other guard spot. I don't know if they're comfortable doing that like they did with Justin Britt, moving him three positions in three years or whatever. But if they decide to do that, I still think the best offensive line combination that they can have in the interior is having Phil Haynes, Damian Lewis, and Gabe Jackson out there together. And that only can happen if Lewis or Haynes is playing center. And Carroll's comments have suggested we don't think Haynes can play center. So 
that that would be a guy that I would keep a very close eye on just because he's athletic. He can play that zone-blocking scheme. He can also maul people. We, he's another guy that injuries have just prevented us from really seeing it, but he played great the two games he started at the end of last year. Still a very young player, so we'll see if they tender him. I've been told they want to. Uh, that would be a little over $2 million. If you're putting that kind of money, I would feel like there's got to be some kind of shakeup, and maybe they aren't going to do anything else at center, and they're just going to slide Damian Lewis over. I, I would not rule that out. So that would be a name you know, that nobody's talking about right now that I, I was really impressed by late last season that maybe could still have a future being a starter for this team. Phil Haynes' hype train its starting right now. Corbin Smith, the engineer, chugga-chugga, baby. You heard it here first. It's the Phil Haynes era coming to Seattle. I'm into it. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, We'll see what happens. I mean, maybe they won't end up tendering you, but I'm based on everything that I've been told, and I think that the new line coach, Andy Dickerson, likes him a lot too. So uh, that's, that's going to be the, the telltale there. The guys that come back, I've wondered about personnel changes, and they want continuity up front at the same time. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, but that is one name that – at least from some discussions that I've had under the table a little bit, sounds like there might be some potential for something to happen there that maybe nobody's thinking is going to happen. So maybe nothing will happen, but that's kind of that X factor, the wild card on that offensive line. Well, we we will wait with bated breath to see what transpires there. I know we're all very, very curious to see how the team approaches the offensive line and the rest of those positions. But I know we got to let you get some sleep, man. This has been awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's late there after a busy day at the Combine. I'm sure you still got work to do. Really appreciate you coming in, Corbin. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate it. You guys take care and uh, enjoy the rest of the Combine week. Yeah, absolutely. You too. And before you get out of here, tell the people who are listening where they can find more of your stuff. So you can find me on Twitter if you actually want to read my nonsense at Corbin Smith NFL. Uh, you can find all of my articles on Seahawk Maven, SeahawkMaven.com, and also host the Locked On podcast, uh, Locked On Seahawks podcast with my good friend and draft guru Rob Rang. So you can find that on all major platforms. Make sure you're checking that stuff out. Corbin will let you get out of here. Thank you again. And for those of you listening, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave us a quick review. I know I say it a lot, but I truly mean it. Y'all have been incredible with your support and we're eternally grateful for that. We will be back soon. In the meantime, onwards and upwards. Upwards.